All right, I'm going to read from uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, and dropping in at verse 26. Now, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. Um, I did not know until recently that Christmas invitations are a big business, uh, that you can purchase invitations for all kinds of Christmas events. Of course, um, you know, to uh, a family get-together uh, or a friendly get-together, a Christmas dinner, an office party, a staff party. There are cards for um, if you want to go caroling with a group. Uh, you can even get invitations uh, for boat parades and fundraisers and all kinds of things. In fact, some of us get so many Christmas invitations that we have to decide which ones we're going to say no to. Um, and then others of us may wish that we had that problem, that you know, we had so many things going on, we'd have to say no to a few. Uh, personally, I'm quite pleased to be on the other side of all of that. Um, there are three Christmas invitations that come to mind. We all get these invitations, and we can choose between them, or we can accept all three invitations. And I, I think probably... Uh, we do that, and we may make compromises in the process. But it might be good to decide which one of these invitations will get the majority of our devotion. Uh, the first is the traditional warmth of family gatherings, um, and that's you know pretty much an image that all of us have. Even if we never experienced it for ourselves, we've seen it on TV and in movies. We know what it looks like. Uh, my folks made Christmas special. Uh, okay, uh, sometimes in a very religious sort of way, but still special. Uh, before we would open presents, uh, we'd all sit around together. My dad would read one of the Christmas stories from the Bible, and we would pray. And I just remember that now as special. At the time... I remember thinking, come on, Dad, read faster. Get to the presents. You know, like, and, and my poor children you know, uh, having to endure this. But really, looking back on it, it, it um, what Mom and Dad wanted to do is put everything in a context so that the focus was always on Jesus. So instead of a Christmas tree... We had Christmas trees when we were young, but later on, Dad got rid of them. And uh, he made a small stable with a little wooden manger. Uh, one of my sisters would volunteer a doll for Jesus. And, um, you know, so it was like, you know, the whole uh, nativity thing going on. Um, Mom made Christmas special in, in other ways, sometimes in, in uh, preparing a meal. 
Uh, I remember one time I got a gift from my mom. I was really curious about it. It was just a small box, but it was kind of heavy. And uh, I opened it up. I had no idea what I was looking at. It was this brass round thing sitting in a brass cup, sitting in a bigger brass cup, sitting in a bigger brass cup. And later I learned that these were weights and that they were used for something. Um, And I'm looking at it, and I look at my mom, and she's got this big smirk on her face. You know, like, I gave him the dumbest present ever. Um, It was a gag gift, and I I was so surprised to get this from my mom. I thought she loved me. Uh, I mean, because it's just, I mean, she had a silly side, but, you know, it it was still a surprise. So the following year, my mom got this big box from me, and um, inside of it was a smaller box and then a smaller box. And I re-gifted her gift to me back to her. <laughs> and this went on for several years uh, you know, to where you know, we knew what was coming. But, uh, so that's the first uh, Christmas, the warm family gathering. The second one is the, the mythical commercial holiday. And um, if, if people complain about Christmas... Usually it's this invitation that they're complaining about. Um, Still, it can be exciting and even magical. Uh, I just remember going through malls and seeing how all the display windows were were made special, were made magical. It's like everything was Disneyland. But it can also be really exhausting And for some, it's uh, an invitation to overindulge. And then the the third invitation is the invitation to come and celebrate Jesus Christ. Uh, God's answer to the longing of his people that had spanned centuries, at last fulfilled in, in God's Christmas gift to earth. These invitations um, get me wondering, and this is me, so you know, I'm not trying to lay this on you. Um, if you're susceptible and vulnerable, okay, I'm sorry I can't help it, you're going to be distressed afterwards, but um, this is me, and I'm wondering, does God want me to have a merry little Christmas? Is that his desire for me? Is he saying, Chuck, have yourself a merry little Christmas? Uh, I don't think so. Um, He might be saying, have a big Christmas, for heaven's sake. Um, And, you know, drop the merry part. Let's, you know, have a joyful Christmas or, you know, whatever. It's like, I don't want to get too stuck on this, but I'm sure he doesn't want me to have a miserable Christmas. What do you suppose God wants for you? I mean, if you've got three invitations. You've got the family thing. You've got maybe you've got the commercial thing. And you've got the, the spiritual invitation. Um, what do you think God wants for you? And how are you going to find out? I mean, if you don't know, how are you going to find out? Christmas came to Mary as it came to Joseph. And we talked about Joseph was it last week? Oh, man. Uh, so much happens in a week. It seems like it was eons ago. 
it, it came to Mary like it did to Joseph as a complete and shocking surprise. Not as a gift so much as a calling, perhaps even a burden in some respects. This was not something that she had wanted or been dreaming about all her life. Uh, I have a a sister who I remember uh, from high school on had all these brides magazines in her bedroom and and, uh, she was dreaming of that day that she walked down the aisle. And it was big the day that she finally did it. Her dreams were coming true, but not for Mary. Whatever dream she may have had about wedding and marriage, um, that kind of got canceled. In fact, um, this was going to change the course of her life. I think that most of us gradually live into our destiny. Um, It's not like Paul, when he came to faith, God's will for him was immediately revealed. He knew what the rest of his life was going to look like. He knew his purpose in life. He knew the meaning of his life. It, it, It all came together, and then he just lived it out. But I think that we live into our meaning, that we don't know God's will exactly, perfectly, for sure. We don't know our purpose, but that we, we grow into it. And we have to you know, cover some ground before we can look back and say, now I understand what my life means. When um, I was helping my dad write his autobiography, it, as he was, you know, it's kind of interesting because when we sat down, I said, okay, dad, um, I'm explaining to him about literature, right, and how biographies and autobiographies work. I said, okay, Dad, this is mostly going to be story, the story of your life. I said, but still, in order to be a coherent book, there has to be a central theme that runs through the whole thing. And immediately, he said, God prepares his vessels. And I thought, that's that's, I was surprised. He knew exactly what his life story was about. And I, I thought, that's very good. It, it needs to be reworded. Um, it's kind of a dumb way of saying it. Or, no, no, it's a King James way of saying it. God prepares, prepareth his vessels. But um, he says, everything is preparation for something else. And I realized that his vantage point at that time, in his late 70s, from his vantage point, it was easier to see how all those things added up. He would say, life is a jigsaw puzzle, and the moment you're living in is just one piece. And you're thinking, what? This doesn't go anywhere. The, the shape of this isn't going to... I don't see how this fits in my life. Why this? What's the point of this? He says, but you need to see the whole puzzle, and then when that piece goes, oh, it just makes sense, right? You know, at first, the shape, the color, it's all off. But no, it really does fit. So he had that perspective, and to me, so, so what I said, it's like connecting the dots, that you can look back at your life, and now you can connect the dots, and, and so we know what our lives are about, what they mean. Uh, well, like I say, most of us grow into it, but 
for Mary, her destiny dropped on her, was dropped on her all at once. It's okay, you're going to be the mother of the Messiah. And, and that's pretty big. One day she's an ordinary girl living a normal life, and the next day she's the mother of our Lord. Like it was for Joseph, Christmas radically altered Mary's plans. And I wonder what she had to give up. What was taken from her? We can venture educated guesses, knowing something about uh, how big a deal a wedding was at that time, lasted for a week, uh, and the whole community, I mean, really, the whole village of Nazareth would somehow be involved in, in this. Lots of people would be making preparations for it and, uh, and there to celebrate. So we can make some guesses about that, but her more personal longings, we can never know. What longings did she have that she had to, to sacrifice? I think that it's probably good for us to sit with our unfulfilled longings. Now, when you're young, when you're in your 20s and 30s, you don't have unfulfilled longings. You may have longings and dreams, but none of them are unfulfilled yet. You know, but by the time you're in your late 40s or early 50s, as a guy, you're thinking, you know what, I probably won't get drafted into the NFL. You know, if it hasn't happened by now, um, I probably won't make that winning touchdown in the Super Bowl. You know, I've dreamed of it for a long time, and there I was. Uh, He's on the 30, the 20, the 10. But it's an unfulfilled, it's not going to happen. And that's just, you know, one thing. It may not, it may, maybe I'm not going to ever find the fulfillment in marriage I was hoping for. I'm never going to find that perfect job that is so me and makes a really good income at the same time. I I may find that I've compromised, that I've worked a job I hated because the money was so good. I worked with people I didn't like because the money was, or that I I worked at what I loved doing and never got paid a dime. So, you know, um, to sit with these unfulfilled longings is to get to know ourselves you know, to sink into them and to be with them is, is to understand ourselves and to understand disappointment, maybe heartache, but also understand that it didn't mean survival and that life can be good apart from what isn't here and that if I focus on what is here, rather than what isn't, that that's maybe where I can find who I really am and what I'm really all about. What do my longings tell me about myself? What kind of person am I? Or what kind of person would I have been if my longings were fulfilled? Would that have been a good thing? What if I had married X instead of Y? And all you have to do is bump into X someday Thank you, God. Uh, (laughs) Um, 
longing and desire. And to sort these things out, uh, C.S. Lewis said, for as I say, there are two kinds of longing. The one is a spiritual exercise, the other is a disease. I think I know both those kinds of longings. William Johnston, in a beautiful book on Christian mysticism, saw um, a central longing as a strong, normal human desire to see God. And he says that Moses gave expression to this desire when he audaciously asked to see the face of God. And in the mystical life, this longing becomes a gaping wound, a wound of love, the wound of one who loves God but cannot see him. Have you felt that? I I love God. My life's devoted to him. I long for him so much, but he won't show himself to me. I don't have enough. When I first went to the hermitage, the very first time I was ever at the hermitage, and I met Father Romuald, I asked him, Father Romuald, the hunger that you had for God that brought you here, and by brought you here, I, I meant into monasticism, into celibacy, into this utter devotion of his life to, to God, to scripture and prayer and, and, uh, and serving others every single day. The hunger that brought you here, has that been satisfied? And he said, yes, it has. Um, he said, but then, he says, I've, I've never wanted to see God um, and then he, he, so he began to qualify, but he was satisfied. Um, a couple days later, I was with one of the other brothers at the Hermitage, uh, Brother Isaiah, a really wonderful man with a beautiful singing voice. Uh, it, it was very melodious. And uh, we were walking on the, the road up to the Hermitage, uh, mountains all around us, and I said, um, Isaiah, that hunger that you have for God that brought you here, has it been satisfied? And first he laughed, and his laughter, I mean, it's like a really a joyful laughter, and it was like the, the bells ringing for chapel service because it echoed around the, the hills around mm-hmm. us, and then he said, oh, yes, oh, yes. And, uh, and I thought, do, do they know that wound of love where you long for God so much, but you, you don't feel like you have enough of an experience. Of, am I just talking to myself? Or, okay, thank you, thank you. Um, but then Isaiah said something else that, uh, stay with me, it's very important. He said, well, Chuck, we never want that hunger to be completely filled because that's what keeps us going after him. If you felt this wound, then William Johnston's words are comforting because you realize, okay, well, this is normal then for me to to feel the wound of love. Um, If you haven't felt it, don't worry about that. Mary's immediate, well, don't worry about that because we're not all the same in the way we approach God or how we find um, 
completeness in him. And we all have our own path. Mary's immediate reaction to the angel Gabriel coming into her, her place, wherever she was, and speaking to her, was perplexity and pondering. Uh, verse 59, or 29. There are different ways that people greet each other. That is how they open a conversation. Um, and each greeting, each of these different greetings, give us an idea of what's coming next. Okay, for example, uh, hi Chuck, I've got some great news. Okay, I know it's coming next. That's one kind of greeting. Another one is, uh, Mr. Smith, I'm sorry to inform you. Another one is, hey dad, are you sitting down? <laughs> now, if it's, hey dad, are you sitting down? Okay, yeah, cool. Uh, hey, Dad, uh, are you sitting down? <laughs> then uh, I'm thinking, don't even tell me. Wait another 10 years, then tell me. <laughs> Mary, okay, the angel comes and says, uh, Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Or highly favored, the Lord is with you. And Mary pondered, what kind of greeting is this? Where, where do I fit this into my list of normal greetings? This is not, hi, I've got great news, or um, I'm sorry to tell you, or are you sitting down, right? In, in other words, there were, there were greetings that she was familiar with. Shalom ha-shalom she was familiar with. How's your peace? How's your shalom? Um, but she's not familiar with this. She didn't know this person. Who, you know, who is this guy? And um, why is he saying this to me? No one's ever said this to me before. And there's no way to predict where this conversation was going. Perhaps that's why the angel's next statement was, do not be afraid, Mary. Okay, you don't know where this is going, but do not be afraid. It's not bad news. Because Gabriel's greeting did not make sense, it, it perplexed her, she pondered it. Mary does a lot of this in these early episodes surrounding Jesus' birth. So many strange things are happening. You know, the baby's just been born and these dirty shepherds come rushing into the stable all breathless and eyes wide saying, we saw angels and they, they told us that this baby was going to be born and where we would find him and here you are. And Mary, uh, we're told, Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And, and uh, in the same chapter, chapter two, in, when he's 12 years old and he's in Jerusalem and he's astounding the elders and the, the sages there with his questions and his responses. Uh, and she says, what are you doing here? You know, we were halfway home and realized you weren't in the caravan and, and we're, we've been all worried about you. How could you do this to us? And he says, well, shouldn't I be about my father's business, you know, doing, doing his things? And uh, there we're told that his mother, his mother treasured all these things in her heart. 
and, and things is uh, a word that means word. It, it's a form of speech. It's something that has been said. And, and so these things that have been said, she treasures. She's pondering and she's treasuring. In fact, there are two different words translated ponder. The first one, th- this one, means to reason, uh, to try to figure out, to make logical sense of. She's trying to figure out what, it, what does this mean? The other word means to bring together, to keep and collect items. So she, she's keeping and collecting all these things she's hearing said about her son, uh, and she's, she's treasuring them. Pondering promotes depth. And it's a thoughtless person that has little depth. But the thoughtful person, you know, as long as you're willing to be with a thought and, and penetrate it and understand, it promotes deeper thinking and develops a deeper person. Mary had a rich inner life. She didn't just have experiences, she collected them. And she pondered them. And she treasured them. And the depth of Mary's inner life is revealed in her poetry. Later on, uh, at the end of, of, uh, well, not at the end, but in the middle of chapter one, she's praising God with this psalm, with this poem, that it seems she's spontaneously composing right on the spot. It's filled with scripture and it's filled with, with hopes and it's, it's filled with common themes from the Hebrew scriptures. And all of this, the stuff that was in her before the angel ever showed up because she was a thoughtful young woman and she pondered things. I was never a teacher's pet. Um, so um, I never understood it. You know, why would someone want to be that person? Um, I never understood it until a few years ago. And then one day I realized that there were people to whom I preached who really listened to me. And took to heart the things that I was saying, and as a result, were walking with me, and in fact, sometimes pulling ahead of me in contemplative spirituality, uh, in their own practice, or in their own discoveries, or in their own freedom. I cannot think of them as my pets, you know, in the sense of put a collar on them and get food bowls for them, Um, but they are special to me. They're very special to me. Um, Paul said to the Thessalonians, for what is our joy or our crown of rejoicing? Isn't it you before our Father in heaven? He he can look at these people who followed his ministry and he he says, you're my joy. You probably haven't thought much about this, uh, but I have friends who are... 
therapist who, or who are in other service industries. I was with a friend on, uh, well, yesterday morning who works with orphans in Russia. And these others understand, but as a minister, uh, you spend a day at work, right? And at the end of the day, what have you accomplished? Nothing tangible. Nothing you can point to. You can't say, well, you know, we manufactured and shipped 50 units today. You know, that's an accomplishment. I can say, I worked all day, and here's the result of that work. You don't see that as a therapist, usually. You don't see instant. You know, people might feel better as they leave your office, but it's not the same thing as, as seeing a real accomplishment. Because that same person may return next week in the same state they were in when they came last week. You know, the, the good feelings that they had when they left or the hope or whatever, it's all dissipated, you know, almost by the time they left the parking lot. And a lot of times with ministry, it's the same thing. So when there are people who really do hear and, and follow, um, it's encouraging. It's, it's like, okay, you know, then this is why I'm doing this. Among those that I treasure are Ed and Carmen Northern. Um, they live in Idaho now. They've lived in Idaho for some years. But uh, they continued to grow and, and deepen in, well, you'll, you'll understand a little bit better. Occasionally, Ed will send me poems that he has written. And he especially is inspired around Christmas and Easter. And almost every Christmas and Easter, I'll receive a poem from him. And I've read Ed's poems to you before, um, several of them. Well, uh, this last week, I received a poem from Ed. However, I'm not going to read his poem to you. What I'm going to read is the email that he sent me to tell me, hey, I've sent you another poem. Which, by the way, he said, I can use his poem however I like. He didn't say I could use his email, so I hope he forgives me. <laughs> but don't tell him, all right, just, just in case. Hello, Chuck. I've been working on a poem, or I should say a poem has been working on me, trying to get out. It is interesting how our awareness of God and who he is evolves as we age. When I think back on the early times of my faith, it was exciting, new, and in many ways obligatory, full of rules, rights and wrongs, intolerance, and a quickness to judge others. While unintended, I think this was the impression received by others. Where was the mercy and grace? I am grateful to you for teaching us this truth. We do not need to be afraid for God and need to accept that we cannot really understand his grace and love in the fullest sense. We do not have a reference point other than our earthly realm. What do we understand of God incarnate? Yes, we see it in Jesus, God in the flesh who reveals his character and heart. We somewhat get that he is our justification and has fulfilled the requirements of the law for us. 
Yet most do not understand that the law has been destroyed in the sense that it no longer judges us, nor are we held to its standards. God incarnate means the law has been removed and replaced with Jesus. The second part of incarnation that is not understood is God indwelling us, the fullness of the Trinitarian God in us. I meditate and ponder this continually, and it remains a mystery that I am not able to perceive fully. I see through a glass darkly. Yet in his grace, God reveals God does reveal small moments and parts of himself which change and alter me. God's indwelling me is the kingdom of God present in this world. This results in both relational gratitude and service for God to his creation. Being invited into the fellowship of the Trinity is mystery, literally beyond my capacity to understand it, yet I continue to pursue it. Do you see why he's teacher's pet today? <laughs> um, what is this that I've just read to you? It's an example of someone who is pondering Christmas. And in Christmas, he sees the incarnation of God. And in the incarnation, he sees things that we're missing. We're missing because we haven't pondered the fullness of the incarnation and what it actually means for us. And this is what I want to encourage you to do. You have received the invitation to celebrate Jesus. So make time to reflect on, to meditate on, to ponder what this means, to celebrate Jesus. We don't have to take Ed's path. It, it, it's somewhat of a theological path. We don't have to think his thoughts. We can't think his thoughts, and we don't need to, because you have your own thoughts. You have your own path. You have your own heart to probe and your own treasures to collect. You have your own perplexity to resolve. And there are questions that only you can answer. Like, what is the heart of this holiday for me? Not, what is the meaning of Christmas? Like, we all should grasp that. But what's the heart of the holiday for you? Has it changed from last year for any reason? Has it changed from the time that you were a child? What is my longing? What is my deepest longing? If you ask me what I love most, I'll quickly tell you, and it will probably not be true, because I quickly told you, and I haven't pondered. Well, if you look at my day-to-day life, what do I love most? You might come away with a different impression, or you might see the truth. What will be the best way for me to celebrate Christmas this year? It would be the most authentic way, the most meaningful way. And ponder. I mean, these are just you know, suggested questions, but but ponder Christmas. It may be that for some of us, 
the old magic of Christmas has drained away. I was sitting with a friend uh, Friday morning, and he said, you know, we, I haven't put up any lights or anything this year. And I said, you know, welcome to the club. It's about time. Um, you know, because you put all that stuff up, you're just going to have to take it down again. <laughs> and, in, you know, in between, it's like, you know, blink, blink. Um, and uh, I said, you know, really, we did that stuff for our children, right? You know, it's all for the kids. And he said, yeah, he said, you know, it was so much easier when, it, when you were a child. All you had to do is wake up early on Christmas morning. You know, just, just make your list and then wake up early on Christmas morning and there it was all set up for you and the train's going around the tree and it's, you know, the magic is there. But it may be for, for some reason that the magic has, has drained out of you. Um, I think that should be pondered. And even if not, even if the magic hasn't drained out, there's still a new enchantment to be discovered. So ponder, ponder the person of Jesus and recover your sense of wonder. And, and let your, your eyes be filled again with the, the sparkle of its magic. Would you stand please? May the Lord our God who loves us infinitely be gracious to us and kind enough that if we do not stop and make time to ponder the Lord Jesus Christ this year at Christmas time, that God himself stops us at some point, causes us to sit and to wait until those thoughts come to us. And then may we be as someone who has found great treasure. The Lord bless us, keep away all evil, and lead us into eternal life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.